So again, we just want to thank you for, for being here at Christian Fellowship Church and joining us this morning. We want to welcome those who are joining us online again. Um, and we believe God is a good God and that he, he works in our hearts. How many of you believe that God works in our hearts and in our lives? Did you, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's that I'm getting older. I don't know. But when we sang that song about um, God, breathe on us, breathe on us, Holy Spirit fall, Holy Spirit fall. Just take a second with me. Can you imagine what would happen in our hearts if God's spirit really fell on this place? Because maybe what needs to happen is maybe he needs to fall in our hearts first and then he'll fall in this place. I mean, maybe he'll as we get our hearts right, can you imagine what it would be like to have God's holiness just settle on this place? That's an amazing, amazing thought. We ask for it. We ask for it, okay? We sing the song. We ask for it. Fall on us. Breathe on us. Holy Spirit, fall. Send your holiness, God. Send your fire. Do we want that? Do we want that? You better be ready. We're asking God to do that. He answers that prayer. It's going to take some change. It's going to make some change in our life. We're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians today, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, afraid it weighs heavy on my heart that some of you are going to walk out of here challenged this morning. Some of you might walk out of here angry with me this morning. You might walk out of here angry with what God's word has to say. Let's just take it as a challenge instead, okay? Paul uses a phrase in um, chapter 2 of Ephesians that, that jumps out. It's jumped out at me for years, and I've never really researched it until I have... Uh, in the past couple of weeks. Um, in, in verse 14, we'll get to it later. I'm just going to read it to you now. I just want you to hear it now. We'll look at it in context in just a minute. Paul says, For he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. When he's speaking at this point in time, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul says, Jesus Christ has made the two groups one and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I want you to know here that this reference to hostility is kind of what I want to talk to about this morning. You don't have to go too far and you'll discover the walls of hostility that divide people all around us, right? Conflict is one of the most ordinary spaces in our world today. Please let me repeat that. Conflict is one of the most ordinary spaces in our world today. We find ourselves in the midst of, next to, around, associated with, touched by conflict almost every day. Yes? Conflict is around us constantly. It's true personally, and it's true globally. 
I don't care whether it's nations rising up against nations, Israel and Palestine, Egypt, Iran, North Korea, United States, not so much if you're in Canada probably, but everywhere it's around us. It's true on a national it's true on a national level for us whether it's republicans and democrats or conservatives or liberals in this last year we have seen it locally with riots up in Fargo Antifa Black Lives Matter down in Minneapolis folks there is even conflict in church Did you know that <laughs> Do you know why that's true It's because there's people in church You know, Gerald Erstein used to say if trees were the problem, we'd cut down all the trees. If birds were the problem, we'd shoot all the birds. But it's people. And you get in trouble if you shoot all the people. (laughs) I probably shouldn't even say that in church. It, It goes so far that it's about whether I mask or I don't mask. It, 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 not only is in churches, it's been a little while, but we even have conflict in our cars. If you've got more than one child, they're sitting in the back. Somehow they draw this imaginary line and they, they, they claim their stake. He's on my side of the line. She's on my side. She's reaching over. She's touching me. He's touching me. Make a car payment and come back and talk to me. That conflict is part of nature all around us. Don't cross the line. Don't do this. Don't do that. And that conflict has degenerated into more goofiness around us. Right? We are now part of what they call a cancel culture. You heard of this? Cancel culture? Mr. Potato Head is now offensive. So we got to take the mister out. Even though there was a Mrs. Potato Head. And now we've gone so far that Dr. Seuss is under question. Pepe Le Pew is Pepe, a stinking skunk who's making moves on a cat who's got a stripe on her back for the last 50 years. This now has to be canceled because we're sensitive to this. Wait, just wait until they find out. Just wait until they find out that Frosty the Snowman has been running through town with no pants on and is smoking a pipe. (laughs) He might get a pass because he's smoking a pipe. They find out he's got no pants on. That's it. Christmas is canceled. (laughs) Done. No more of that. Coca-Cola. People are losing their ever-loving mind. Right? We are offended by any and every stinking thing that comes around the corner. Pick something. Pastor wore black today. What do you think we're going to a funeral? Sometimes. He wore white today. What do you think we're all supposed to be happy? He wore a rainbow. He didn't wear a rainbow. The music was too loud. The music was too quiet. So-and-so said this. Someone did that. You know what? I don't care. You see what they did on Facebook? So-and-so said this on Facebook. So-and-so did that on my... Shut it off. 
That might be a solution. Folks, if cartoons and statues and potatoes are causing this much problem to the point that this is considered news, right? This is called news when we have an education system in shambles, we have homelessness, we have men and women who are veterans of foreign wars who fought for our freedoms who can't find a place to stay. We have babies murdered by the millions in the name of convenience, and we're worried about Pepe Le Pew. There is a problem. There is a problem. And part of the problem resides with us because where is the church in all of this? Where are believers in all of this? You realize that Jesus lived in a culture that was just as chaotic. As a matter of fact, uh, in Corinth, he corrected the church, Paul corrected the church, because they used to have temple prostitutes, right? They were just as confused, every bit as confused as we are. But Jesus, with 12 men who were dedicated to him, turned into 120 men that were dedicated to him, turned into 3,000 that were dedicated to him, turned into 5,000, turned into a revolution that changed the world and has brought us what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ at this point right now in history. It's brought us the church, 12 men. We've got a jump start. We're already above that. Look around. We can't change the world this week with this sermon. But I'm here to tell you, our hope and our peace and our joy will not be found on the tabloid of any magazine in Walmart. You will not find it on ABC, NBC, Fox, or CBS, and you are not going to find it in a bottle of Jack. That is not where you're going to find your peace and your hope. You're not going to find it by saying, oh, okay, well, let's, let's take the Mr. Off Potato Head and let's take all this away and let's cancel that and let's shut this off. You know, pretty soon Andy Griffith's going to get canceled. I'm not sure how, but somehow Andy's going to get canceled. They were smoking in the courthouse not that long ago. See? We're, we're, gonna, we're taking everything away instead of redeeming, bringing some redeeming character and value in life instead of addressing what's new, it's time for the church to switch gears. We, we talk about conflict. I want you to think about conflict this morning because the answer is, is in Jesus Christ. As I said, we're not going to cure the world this morning, but maybe if we can get our homes right, maybe if we can get our car right, first of all, just get that squared away, then maybe if we can move a step farther and see the church kind of come into a line then just maybe we can grow a little bit more and a little bit more. So think about conflict for a minute. First of all, think about the, the worthiness or probably more accurately the unworthiness of most conflict, right? How many of you know most of the things that we fight about are not, they're not going to make a difference in the scope of eternity, Right? Right? How many of the things that you fight about in your families, at your job, in your work, how many of those things have any 
salvic, salvific value, any value regarding salvation. Most of them, any of them, some of them, they don't have any value whatsoever, do they? So while I rearrange the furniture up here, I want you to think about conflict. And I want you to think about what conflict looks like. Conflict is kind of like a brick. How do you build a brick wall? One brick at a time. If you're going to pick up a conflict, it's going to start by something that was said. Did you hear what she said about me? Yes, I did. And I'm going to be offended. Well, you know, she didn't mean it. doesn't make any difference. I like being offended. Well, that's really going to cause separation. Well, then that's too bad for her. As I like, you ever seen anybody build conflict walls in their life? Anybody seen that? Better yet, has anybody ever picked up a conflict brick and said, you know, I really kind of want this in my life. I know I'm not supposed to be angry with anybody, but sometimes it's kind of fun. Yeah, that's not the way Jason talked the other day. I heard what he was saying to Johnny. I know what they're saying about me. You ever know what they're saying about you? No. Did you ask? No. Maybe your zipper was down. And you didn't know about... Just go with me. I'm not following my notes. <laughs> but we pick up offenses about the dumbest things. Folks, if we can pick up offense about a potato and we can make it national news. Can you imagine what the rest of the world must think of us? <laughs> Look what the U.S. is fighting about now. Whether a potato should have a mustache or not. We build a wall one brick at a time. These bricks are like actions. Whether it's a word spoken, whether it's love withheld, whether it's a hateful comment, it's like one brick after another brick after another brick. And it gets to be so big and so tall and so thick sometimes that you think, you know what, I'm not sure if I can get past that. Have you ever heard that in a relationship? I'm not sure if I can get past that. I'm not sure if I can get past that. I'm not sure if I can get that. brick went up. That wall went up one brick at a time. And it's going to have to come down one brick at a time. <laughs> Everybody's offended by something. Well, I got a news flash for you. Everything that I value and everything that I consider fun and everything that I get joy out of, you might not. <laughs> I hopped in my side-by-side -side the other day, and I readjusted the suspension, and I can get it up to about 68 before the wheels start going a little crazy. 
That does not my, make my wife happy in any universe. We live in the same household. That does not make her happy. But here's the deal. It got really squirrely at 45 before. Now I got her up to about 62 before it gets squirrely. That brings joy to my heart. That might not bring joy to your heart. So should we ban the pastor from driving ATVs? Don't vote. <laughs> Those of you who have been around and prayed for my shoulder before, no voting. That's not, I don't get to do that. But the news flash is that everybody doesn't believe like we are. Everybody doesn't see things the way we see things. Everybody doesn't have the same amount of information that you have when you make a choice or a decision. Everybody doesn't have the same pile of hurts in their background that you have when you make that decision, when I make that decision. And so here's the deal. Instead of trying to figure out where we're at or what we're doing, we, instead, we're going to start throwing, we're going to go from building walls to throwing bricks at people. I want to show you a, a clip of a movie. There was a movie that came out in 2011. Now, now I'm just going to lay this out to you because you might, in the very beginning of it, there is a quick word, and I don't know what the word is. I'm not sure whether it's swearing or not swearing. I don't advocate swearing. I'm not advocating swearing at all. But I couldn't figure out what it was, and I was trying to have somebody edit the clip for me, and I thought that got done, and it didn't get done. But it's a powerful clip, so listen to it. Just avoid the first word if it's there. I'm going to set this up. The name of the movie is War Horse. It was produced by Spielberg back in 2011. It's a, it's a decent movie. But there was a clip that I saw that just struck me so hard as I was reading through this passage of Scripture this week. This movie takes place during World War I, and there's actually, it's based in some truth. This scene may not be. It was about 1914. And in this scene, we see the British army is entrenched on one side and the German army is entrenched on the other side. You can shut off the lights, but give me just a little bit of color, okay? There you go, thanks. Uh, the British army is on the other side. The battle's been raging for about three months at this point. Now, when the British went to war, as most militaries back in the early 1900s, they did it, they used horses. They used a lot of horses. The Germans by this time were getting motorized. They had some form of transportation like a jeep. They had some tanks. And so they were not keeping horses. When this war broke out, the Brits only had about 4,000 horses in their stables, and they knew they needed more. And so they went out, and they literally commandeered 140,000 horses from the surrounding countryside. Horses were so valuable to the British at this time that they actually kept records of them like a census. They knew every farmer and how many horses each farmer had and what kind of horses they had and farmers gave up their horses some willingly some not but they basically gave up their horses for the sake of this conflict of this battle of this war so here you have these two armies entrenched one on each side and these men are about to mercilessly destroy each other for months they've been shooting at each other shooting bullets at each other, real bullets, skewering each other with bayonets, filling each other's lungs with toxic mustard gas. And in the middle of this battle, a horse escapes. It gets away from the Brits. And it's now on the battlefield. And as it's 
running through the battlefield, it brushes up against some barbed wire and it begins to get entangled and the next thing you know, it's stuck in a roll of basically razor wire. Let's watch the video. What's he doing? It's a trap. No, I don't think so. I think he's trying to Let's help. Let's get him back into his hole. It's a white flag, isn't it? You see the white flag? I'm just after tending to this here horse is all. Get back, you stupid git! I thought perhaps you might need these for the barbed wire. That's a very long strand. And when you cut it, it's going to release this and this and this. And they call back rather violently, which I'm afraid will only wound the poor fellow further. You speak good English. I speak English well. We need more wire cutters! House things in yonder trench. Delightful. We read, we need sweaters, and we train our rats to perform circus tricks. Well, if you haven't any more rats, we can always send ours over, because we've more than we need, strictly speaking. And now? I'll take them back with me, yeah? Since I supplied the cutters, the horse is mine. This is fair, no? In the pig's eye, he's English. Plain to see. Oh, you mean because he's so filthy? Because he's so smart. Point toss. Yeah. All right, Fritz, you're on. My name is not Fritz. It is Peter. Peter. I'm Colin. You call it Colin. Heads. Horse is yours. Remarkable. A remarkable horse. Unfortunately, what happens next is that these guys go back to their trenches and they start shooting each other again. But what happened for that split second? What happened for that split moment in time? What happened? Compassion, teamwork. They saw a need greater than themselves. Right? They saw a need greater than themselves and they decided that instead of selfishness, instead of bitterness, instead of this being all about me, let's work together and free this helpless animal. They could have sat there and just watched it. In most cultures, somebody would have just walked up and shot it and put it out of its misery, right? Right? The question before us is how do we how do we take down the wall? How do we get beyond? Where's what's the value? Where's the horse? What's the thing that's more valuable? What's the thing that we can agree on? What's the thing that's going to get us past putting another brick in the wall? Paul, if you will remember, in Ephesians, is writing to 
nominal Christians. They're, they're, they're Christians, that they're, they're just kind of just getting their feet off the ground as, as believers. And remember, it's important to this story that Paul wrote this letter from prison. That's very important to understand that as we read this letter in context. Before we do, I want to explain a, a, the, the, temple of, of the temple in Jerusalem. It's critical that you understand this. I'm just going to give you a, a nutshell version of the temple. The temple sat in the heart of Jerusalem, and it was a series of walls is really what it was. It was a bunch of walls. In the Holy of Holies, the, the inner sanctuary was the Holy of Holies, and that Holy of Holies could only be entered into by the priest, and that could only be done once a year. And he had to be in the right place. He had to then make sure that he was in such a right place because otherwise he could lose his life that they actually put a rope around his leg so he went into the Holy of Holies, and if he stopped making noise in there, they could drag him out because nobody else could go in there, right? Okay, so there's, the, there's the, the, the Holy of Holies. Then there's the, the courtyard of Israel. There's, there's, there's several regions. There's, there's this courtyard of Israel where only Jewish men who were, who were circumcised could go in the courtyard. I'm not sure how they checked. But only Jewish men who were supposed to be circumcised could be. That's an interesting way to start out your church service, eh? Next. Sorry, just sometimes my mind just goes there. <laughs> then there was the courtyard of women. They were outside of that area, okay? Because the women couldn't be in this area, and these guys couldn't be in this area. And then outside of that was the courtyard of the Gentiles. So if you were not a Jew, it wasn't about black and white, it wasn't about Antifa, it wasn't about this, it wasn't about that. What it was about at this point in history was it was about Jews and Gentiles. If you were a Gentile, if you were a non-Jew, you had to be on the outside of that. So if we said that today, you know, here in our, in our sanctuary, then, then basically we'd have a curtain or a wall around this section right here, and I would be the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies as if it was where God's presence was. I'm the only one who could go in, and I could only go in once a year. And then we'd, we'd put another curtain basically around the, the stage area, and myself, when I'm not in there, I could be in here with the elders. We could be in, in this area. And then beyond that, the men of the church if you met the qualifications, <laughs> could sit out here, all right? And the women, we'd have to open up this section of the, the building, and then the women could sit over, you know, over here. That, that'd be fine for them. We don't want them in here. We certainly don't want them up here. And then if you're not a member of the church, then you've got to be outside. And if you've got a really good preacher, you know, maybe it's worth it. They can watch. They can see the video. They're, they're, that, that's, but they've got to stay outside. And, and here was the rule. If a Gentile, if a non-Jew actually came into the temple, that was punishable by death. They were serious about this stuff. That was punishable by death. And so in Paul's day, this whole concept of bringing this separation down and what Jesus did to eliminate that separation was huge. You see, Paul had been out traipsing the countryside, interacting with Gentiles, not only interacting with them, but telling them about Jesus, sitting down and eating with them. He was a Jew. He belonged at least at this level here. He could have been on stage with us because he was, he was that 
far into the, the whole Jewish system. He, he, could, he could have been up here. So, but instead, he's out not just cavorting with you all, but I mean, he's outside the building. He's out traipsing through the countryside. And he, he actually has a friend. He meets this guy who's a non-Jew. His name was Trophius. And Paul invites him back to Jerusalem. And, and Paul uh, is seen inside of the temple. And somebody said, hey, he's running around with that non-Jew, that Trophius. And so they, they caused such a commotion that they drug Paul out of the temple and they were going to try and stone him and kill him. And the Romans said, there's just so, so much commotion going on over there. What's going on? So they went and they grabbed Paul because he was in the middle of it all and they threw him in jail even though Trophius never came in with him. So Paul is in prison because somebody thought that somebody crossed the line. They thought that Trophius made it through their wall. We've got a wall to keep the good people in and keep the bad people out. You see, when Paul speaks of a wall of hostility, he's not talking about metaphor. He's talking about something that he experienced. Came in a door, and because he came in a door and somebody thought somebody else came in with him, he ended up in prison. Has that ever happened to us? Come to church? You come to church one time, and you bring a scoundrel with you. You bring that scoundrel with you, somebody's going to throw you in jail. Right? How bad would it be for the scoundrel? Okay, listen to our passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Paul says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. Every one of you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are God's handiwork. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Do you know how many of us got our mission on this world screwed up? We accept Jesus. Yeah, yeah a few of you are going, dude, I've been screwed up a long time. A few of us have come to the point where we say, you know, we've accepted Jesus, and so now, instead of doing 70 miles an hour with our hair on fire, headed to hell because we're going the wrong way, we just decided it's easier to not do that anymore, but we're just going to sit in church and be all nice until the music's too loud or until the pastor's tie is the wrong color or until we change the carpet. You know the mess they made downstairs this week? Oh, my Lord, they made a mess in church. Didn't clean that up. Sound was too loud. You see, we, we think now that since we're born again, that God set us free from all that stuff, all that junk. You remember the first part of, of Ephesians, Paul saying, you know, you were sinners. You were controlled by the spirit of this world. You're, you're worthy of damnation. You're worthy of God's wrath. And all of a sudden, we get set free, and we think we do that so that we can sit on our backsides and just enjoy the ride. And God says, that's not why I shed my blood. I didn't save you for that reason. As a matter of fact, 
since the very foundations of time, I have a purpose for your life. And you say, well, sure, pastor. We know that you're a pastor, so you have purpose in your life. I'm nothing, folks. Every one of us, God has a purpose for us. I'm the pastor inside of this building. But you, you might be the pastor. You might be the counselor. You might be the shepherd in the workplace where you're at. You might be the only gospel somebody ever reads. They may never pick up a Bible. And because of the way that you preach the gospel, they may or may not ever pick up a Bible. Because of the way that you live your life, someone might go, you know what, there is something different there in that teddy, and I just got to figure out what is going on, man. What is going on? I, I need to get that in my life. Or they may say, you know what, I've, I've been around him. He talks about going to church, but I've seen what comes out of his mouth when he's not in church. I don't need that. Look at the wall. Look at the wall. Look at the wall. Look at the conflict. Look at the offense. Look at the hurts. What are we doing about these? What are we doing about them? Are we letting them build up around us? Therefore, Paul says, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision, you were born outside of the Jewish nation. And therefore, you're called the uncircumcised. You're Gentiles. And you're called that by those who are inside, right? Those that are outside are always called something by somebody who's on the inside. You ever felt like you're on the outside and not on the inside? You're on the inside, you've got to keep everybody else on the outside? We have somebody in this congregation who was at a church one day, and because they walked in with a tattoo, they were told that they needed to leave. Your kind is not welcome here. No, whoever said holy, that is not holy. That is just the opposite of holy. Unholy. Remember at a time that you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in this world. Paul wants us to remember that anybody who was not in relationship with Jesus Christ, he goes on, let's just read what he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ, before Christ, that's before Christ, but now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he, he goes on to tell us it's not just Gentiles who've been brought near. He said everybody was far away. I used to think because I was raised Catholic, I kind of had an in. And I was an altar boy. Okay. I won't go into the stories. But I thought that's what we really needed. Then, then you're in. So when I started hanging around with my buddies in high school and I was smoking pot, I wasn't smoking as much pot as they were. And yeah, I did a little hash. And yeah, we did a little bit of angel. There's some of those things. But I got a buddy who's way worse than I am. And we'd start getting drunk on a bus before we went to school, but there were other people who were, who were still hung over then. So because I was Catholic, I thought I kind of had this one-up. I was on the inside. But Paul says, Paul says, I don't care whether you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't make any difference. All of you were separated from Christ. As a matter of fact, you may have been born in the community of Detroit Lakes. Your parents may have come to this church all of their life. 
You may come to this church and say, you know what, I'm part of Christian fellowship. That doesn't mean jack before the cross. It's not about where you went to church. It's not about how long you went to church. It's not about whether mom and dad went to church. You know what it's about? It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is it, top to bottom, beginning to end. It is about Paul saying that wall is actually a wall of hostility. For he himself is our peace. You can change all the Dr. Seuss books. You can change the name on every toy in this culture. And that is not going to bring peace. Right? It's not. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Paul is talking about a literal barrier. He has destroyed that barrier, the wall, uh, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and its regulations, his purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two and thus make peace. Paul is saying Jesus died, and when he died, he took on the sins of all of us. And when he took on the sins, he took away the regulations. Gentiles got to be on the outside. Ladies, yeah, they can, they can come into where the ladies are. Let me see. Did Jesus pay for the ladies? Yeah, he paid for the ladies too. So the ladies could, could come in. You know, there's, well, even this guy said, what? We don't really, are they circumcised? Are they not circumcised? That's really not that big. That's not going to get them to heaven. So we'll take that away. And really the whole holy of holy things, sorry, I'm probably breaking a brick, Corey. The, the whole holy of holy things, that really is, is it's, it's access for everybody, really. So let's take away the dividing wall. Let's find a purpose that's greater than. Let's find where our hope is at. Our hope is where? Our hope is in Christ, right? It's not in cartoons and statues. It's not. It's not in rules and regulations. Our hope is in Christ. When you walk out of here today, when you walk, you say, well, pastor, that's all really interesting, but what do I do with it? Listen to what James writes. James chapter 3 and verse 16. James was Jesus younger half-brother. James says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. You see, the church is known so much for what we oppose, what we oppose, what we stand against, what we stand against. How about laying our life down and loving somebody? How about laying down our life? You know why our men's group works so good? I'll tell you why our men's group works so good. This past week, I think we had 27 guys again. We're all sitting around one table. They tell you that small groups can only be 8, 10, maybe 12 guys, then you've got to break them up. You can't have 27 guys sitting around a table sharing the gospel. That can't work. You know why it works? Because nobody cares. Nobody cares that they get the most words in on any given Thursday. Nobody cares that their point gets heard. What we do is we read the word, and then we say, what does that say to you? And you know what? Barry might say something. Tim might say something. Gino might say something. Mike might say something. Scott might share something. Bob might share something. We don't really care because it's about the gospel. That's what it's about. You say, well, how do I live this out in my life? Lay your life down. Lay it down. 
where there is bitterness and there is envy. Now, I know, I know. This, you, oh, that's really simple, Pastor, really easy. No, it's not. It's hard. It's very hard. It's difficult. It's difficult to live out. In 30 minutes, 35 minutes, I can't teach you how to do this. But I can tell you what God's Word says. His Word says, in a nutshell, it's not all about you. In a nutshell, it says it's not all about me. In a nutshell, it says, my opinion and my idea. I think Paul stood for values. I think he stood for what's right. That's why he was in jail. He didn't back down for the truth. We don't back down for the truth, but tell it in love. Tell it with a heart of compassion. Talk to somebody like you care about them, like they're a horse stuck in a barbed wire fence. And they can't help themselves, so they need somebody to do it. It's an opportunity for us to take a chance. The one soldier walks out waving a white flag. He could have got shot. He might have got cursed at. I'm not really sure in that first part. And he could have got shot. But he took a chance. And not being selfish. And not letting it all be about him. Verse 17 of chapter 2 says, He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. What Paul's saying is, You who were far away, the Gentiles, you didn't know anything about God. You who were near were the Jews. They were the ones who were close to God. And yet they needed to hear that peace. You may have been in church all of your life. You may have never been in church. Truth of the matter is, it doesn't make any difference because Jesus paid the price across the board for all so that we could walk with him. There's that old adage that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And it's truth. It's truth. You want to help somebody out? We start by laying down our life. That's how we start. That's how we start. Paul went to jail because he was laying down his life. He went to jail because he was willing to associate with people of ill repute. If anyone, if anyone, if anyone has the right to be hostile towards us, towards me, it's God. He's got the right. I've offended him. I broke his laws. I broke his rules. Every one of them. I struggle on a day-to-day basis not to pick up an offense, not to get, not to get uh, offended with something that somebody said, not to take an arrow and go, boy, you know what? I could, I could throw that right back. Not to, you, you, you take that chance every day. We get, we get angry towards God. You know, sometimes, sometimes life just doesn't go the way you think that it's supposed to go. Sometimes, if you pardon the expression, crap happens. And you go, I'm sitting here in a position, and I'm taking heat for something that I had nothing to do with, and I really want to be mad about it. I want to fire off a text. I want to fire off an email. I want to fire it off. I want to let somebody know about it. What what fruit does that produce? Does that produce godliness? 
Does that produce grace? Does that produce hope if it's all about me? Sometimes you're, you're put in a position because of what somebody else did, and, and, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And you say, Pastor, you want me to, to roll over and play dead? It's not about rolling over and playing dead. It's about laying down our life. Because Christ laid down his life for us. He paid the price for us. Jesus told his disciples before he left to go out and make disciples. He didn't say go out and make babies. He didn't say go out and get as many people to come to Jesus as you can. Do it now. Do it quick. Do it fast. Hopefully, because of our lives, people will come to Christ. But what's more important? What's more important than all that? What's more important than Teddy coming to Christ? Come on, come on. Is that Teddy and I walk together. And if I've got any good thing within me, anything that's Christ, that gets put into Teddy. And if he's got any good thing in him, any good thing that's Christ, that gets put back into me. And then if I can, if he comes with any amount of problems, any amount of struggles, and I can walk with him and say, you know what, let's try and get through that, man. Let's just pray for you. You, you, you want to know what God's word, here's what, I know a little bit about God's word, I can tell you a little bit about, well, how does that work, pastor? Well, this is kind of how it works. But you don't have to be a pastor to do that, because once I'm done with him, he can pick up somebody else, Amen. and should. Should have three or four people along with him. Thanks. You want to see revival in a church? Let me tell you the key to revival in a church. The key to revival in a church is not evangelism. Evangelism is great. Going out and telling people about Jesus. Key to revival in the church is discipleship. Key to revival in the church is discipleship. It's bringing people along. It's saying, I know you've got failures. I know you've got flaws. Come on, let's get through this again. I know you've, got, I know you've fallen. I know you've screwed up. God could have given up on me any million number of times, right? But he didn't. He keeps hanging in there and pouring into me. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Anyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God's love. I just like being cranky. Well, go do it somewhere else. Don't do it in the name of the church for Pete's sake. Don't do it in the name of God. Pull over and help somebody change their tire. Well, I might get hurt. You might. I can't say it, you won't. But if you're doing it for Christ, if you're laying down your life for the right reason, then you're laying down your life for the right reason. So many times we hide behind the walls and the excuses. Paul was in jail because he wasn't hiding. We're called to be the church. Paul said there's a dividing wall and all that chaos that's out there, all that chaos that's out there, sometimes it takes building a relationship with somebody and when they want to jump on that bandwagon, you say, you know what, okay, let, let's just think about this for a minute. Do we really care about, care about a potato? Do we really got to go that far? Does it really? But you don't understand. You're right, maybe I don't, but it's a potato. You know, it's a potato. What about God's grace? 
You know, we usually say grace before we eat a potato. Sorry, that's not in my notes either. Let's close this morning in prayer. And folks, my heart today is that all the chaos around us, we're not going to change that by getting up and preaching and telling everybody we're opposed to chaos. We're going to change that by living a life that surrendered to Christ. And we're going to change that by, by saying, you know what, I, I can forgive that person. I can walk alongside of them. And somehow maybe I'll be brought along to truth and somehow maybe they'll be brought along to truth but the reality is it's more about discipleship than it is anything else. More about walking in his life and his love. Far more. Amen? Lord, I just thank you for each person here today. Thank you for the folks who are watching us online. God, I pray that we would walk away not being offended, not feeling picked on. It's not my intention to pick on anybody. It's not my intention to rub an old wound and make it raw. That's not it. The intention is to say that there's grace in Christ Jesus. You took down that dividing wall. Whatever that thing that was that wanted to divide. And I get in, Corinthian, or in, uh, in Ephesians you're talking about Jew and Gentile, but I think there are so many things that divide us. And you want to take down that wall with love. You want to take down that wall with grace. You want to take down that wall with your mercy and your peace. God, I pray we'd walk out of here with that today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have yourselves a great week. Amen.